0: Hi, and thanks for joining me today for another episode of Titanium Blonde Talks. Joining me today is Siggy, all the way from Namibia, which is a long ways away from Seattle. And this is an interview I've been wanting to do for some time, and we're going to be together here for season two opener, and I'm very excited about that. Siggy is a yoga instructor. She owns her own studio. She's also a photographer, an artist, a mom. She has some of the coolest dogs and a cat that you will ever see. (laughs) <laughs> that she takes to the beach with her, and she does some beautiful things on Instagram. So welcome, Siggy. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Sherry. I'm really excited
0: about it. Me too. Why don't you just give everyone a little bit of a background of how you ended up, let's start with how you ended up on Instagram, because that's where I found you was on Instagram.
1: Oh, it was, it was accidental. It was a few years back. I'm not sure, four or five years, perhaps five, six years even. And um, a friend of mine just said that a lot of people were On Instagram, and we were doing a handstand challenge at the time. And she said she shares her pictures on Instagram, and I'd never heard of it. So she said, Why don't you just put them on there so people can see you? And well, what started off as a fun thing ended up in addiction. I think most of us are addicted with it, aren't we? Well, especially
0: now with everything going on in the world, it's kind of the place where everybody seems to be hanging out these days. But it's where I found most of my women that I follow that inspire me that I've invited onto the podcast. I think I've started following you like very close to when you first started because I've probably been on there about six, maybe seven years. I think. I don't know. A long time. I just, back then, I remember all of the challenges that went on every month and how exciting that was and how people really got into it and how I learned about photography with my phone and doing editing and all that kind of stuff. It's come a long way since then, that's for sure.
1: That's right. You've got two kids. That's right.
0: And do you have, did you start out as a
1: professional photographer? Have you been teaching yoga for a long time? Since two 2001, and then I did my teacher training around 2004. And then I started running my own classes, first part time because I had a full time job as a medical representative. Because my background is actually medical, I'm actually a ICU, that's right? Yeah, that's and, right. I forgot about that. Yeah, so it was part time, sort of um, three times a week. I gave classes in the evening after work. As uh, when I was eventually retrenched um, in, oh, I can't remember, in twenty fifteen somewhere, I decided to take my classes full time. You know, to survive. I didn't want to go back into the medical world, so I decided to to do it full time. That's
0: pretty high pressure in the ICU.
1: The ICUs, yeah. I mean, I loved it, but I must say you know it's it's exhausting and the the shifts were you know 12 hour shifts you know you just don't get to do anything else and I found the transition from working in the intensive care to rushing home and getting onto the yoga mat was near impossible i I really struggled with the concept of of getting into that yoga mode after I'd been in an ICU the whole day, which is very academic, very scientific. A lot of stuff happening, as you know, and it's very draining. And then you have to get on a mat and you have to be all Zen. And I really struggled with that transition.
0: Well, that is a tough transition because you're, you're there to help serve your students and you've been giving all day for 12 hours in a high pressure facility boy I don't know how you did that that's tough Plus, have a family on top of all of that too
1: you know I, I don't know it seems to be you know there's a time when you're going through a lot of stress in your life and you just cope you know what I'm saying there's and only later on yes. if you think about it and somebody says how on earth did you do this and you're like I actually don't know, but it seems that there is, there, is a, there is this period where you can seriously just cope with things. And today I, I wouldn't take it on, but at the time I was just running on all fuel tanks and it worked. Yeah.
0: Well, and I find that doing something like that, you can do it for a finite time period. And then right. once you, once you're done, you're done. And that's all there is to it. There's, there's really no going Yeah. going and it can really deplete you. But now you have a lovely
1: studio. Do you now, do you own the studio by yourself? Yeah, we, what I learned relatively soon was if you rented studio space anywhere, it would take, I mean, you know that yoga teachers generally don't make much money. So, um, no. So, you know, you were giving out more money on rent. I decided I had bought my property that I'd rather build on my property, have a facility here, so, it's, so I don't have to pay rent and whatever. I do pump into it. It's, it's, it's literally, you know, a, a reinvestment into my own property. I built the studio when we moved here to the coast. I've got a Pilates teacher that also rents it out a couple of times a week. So it's really the best thing I did. Now,
0: do they allow you to take
1: some sort of a tax break? Because you're using your own property for this, not really. I don't know how your tax system works. Still, okay, it's registered as a business, so you 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 know it's as the tax would be as normal, but you're just not paying rent. So you've been okay. So that's a long time to be doing yoga
0: and, and teaching, and there's a lot of changes that have happened in the yoga world since we both started teaching. I've been teaching for well, it'll be eighteen years, almost nineteen. I've been practicing for twenty six, and things have changed so much. My own practice has changed. Yeah. How You found that your practice has changed in all these years.
1: A lot. I mean, you know, it'll sound crazy, but I was happily teaching my classes, and then I discovered (laughs) Instagram. And you know, (laughs) as much as you try and not let it influence you, it does. It was—it's so absurd because you're doing all this crazy stuff and these challenges, like you said. You know, you're out there, and you just got to try these things and. I must say it really made me stronger. And a lot of the, the fancy ass tricks I do are Instagram based. It's not stuff I would, I invented myself here. You know what I mean? So.
0: Well, that's so interesting that you would say that because I kind of, I didn't do handstands a lot in my practice at all. I've got a couple of bad wrists and a bad shoulder. And so I just kind of let myself believe that I couldn't do it. And so it was Instagram that was just like, just, try it and see what happens and keep going from there. Most of my students that I teach, they're midlife and older, they don't care about doing a handstand, right? That that kind of stuff, they don't really even, most of them don't really even do arm balances or anything like that. I mean, they're looking to make sure that their low back doesn't hurt, that their head, neck and shoulders feel good. And so all of that stuff, like you said, came from from Instagram (laughs) and I started taking pictures out on the beach on this dock that's down there that's a privately owned dock everyone was like oh my god that's so cool is that your house it's like no that's just some dock I found that I climb up (laughs) on to take pictures (laughs) so it's just it's it's interesting to see the progression of all of that and there's not as many challenges, at least I don't do them anymore as I did before. And there are so many people and everyone's like, let's figure out how to beat the algorithm and and get more followers. And it's like, for me, it's just like, I just like to see what people are doing and check in with people that I've met there. It's really not that big of a deal to me anymore, other than the fact that there are a lot of people that I follow that are very inspiring. So that's just sort of interesting to me that the progression that this whole thing has taken.
1: It has. Um, Go ahead. You know, what, what has happened was I think last year there was an, an incredible amount of um, challenges going on with some huge sponsors. But what happened is towards the end of last year, there was a gradual, I think, decline because the um, sponsors were starting to get very strict and they were cutting down on, I suppose, the prizes and where they were sending prizes to, et cetera, et cetera, because every Tom, Dick, and Harry was offering uh, a challenge. And I'm all for everyone doing these things. However, I started getting a little choosy because I realised there were people coming onto Instagram. They were they were not qualified teachers, and they were offering challenges. And I just drew the line at that point, and I said I, I'm not going to. And I yeah. wouldn't post post a challenge with somebody that wasn't a teacher um, and i've kind of lost interest now and i know that there're very few sponsors that are still doing uh, challenges and they've got their specific crowd that they allow to do the challenge because it's yep. a lot, it's uh you know so i'll do it's, i'll do them once in a while but it's not as important we
0: don't really fit the demographic do we
1: i'm like the old lady
0: of instagram
1: not really i mean sherry you know it's it's amazing you'd inspire people you know i I realize the age thing is not such a big deal people are really inspired because they're different levels but i think the, the problem is people were not being um you know responsible about how they were offering these poses and you know putting in the the alternatives or the variations or or the modifications let's say for people that are not as able or are older or are injured so i think um, everyone's just gung-ho and i mean i don't want to exclude myself from them and i'm currently i'm with a group we we just do every wednesday we do the wheel um, and we do some crazy stuff on the wheels and and we've just realized we're going to have to put out Some kind of disclaimer because people are getting on the wheels without checking what their capabilities are. They're trying to do stuff that we're doing and they're going to hurt themselves. So we have to be more responsible about how we teach something. Yes, have fun, but there's some things that we got to be aware of.
0: Well, that's been my thing all along is that you had people that were just, they were learning how to do yoga by watching people on Instagram. Yeah, and that is not as an instructor, and for as long as I've been teaching, and as much time and energy and money as I have put into learning how to teach correctly, it always concerned me, and it always seems like it was always, you know, there's a handstand, and then it's always an art. It's always the the like the flashy poses, whereas that's really not what a real yoga practice looks like. I mean, those are beautiful. People have beautiful bodies and they can get into the, the hypermobile people can get into spaces that other people can't. And so I worried about people hurting themselves or not feeling like they were a part of the crowd because they couldn't do it. And I put together a restorative challenge just to be able to bring the other side of what yoga has to offer. And so that was interesting. But I just, there were so, like you, there were so many people doing all this who are not certified yoga teachers. You know, you and I have been teaching long enough that now cranking out yoga teachers left and right. And I wonder about what sort of training they actually have. And I have close to 17,000 hours of practical teaching experience in all of these years. I've seen a lot of bodies in a lot of different places. It always makes me, I'm not trying to be a snob, but I just want people to be real, realistic about what they're offering their students and making sure that it's inclusive of everybody who walks in the door, which I think is an art. You can have a beautiful yoga practice, it doesn't make you a good yoga instructor.
1: Yeah, there's a there's an absolute art to teaching. And you know, uh, the reality is when you first qualified and you're out there and you're gung-ho and you're like, whoa! And what I've learned is the older I get, the more I realize what I don't know. We get, and I think yeah. I get more humble as I get older because I realized, oh my, the responsibility these people have put into my hands because I'm getting people here that have had hip replacements or knee replacements or have got uh, prolapsed yep. uh, discs. And suddenly my whole teaching style has had to change to work with people that are either older or injured. And suddenly you can't go and get on there and do this power yoga and show off what you can do because that's not the profile of, of client you're teaching. So you really have to step back and, and get out of that ego. And I think this is, maybe it happens to all of us. I'm not sure, but it certainly in the early years, I never thought about, um, you know, people that were injured that would come to class. I thought everyone was like young and fit. And next thing uh, it was different and I had to change or I would, I would have no business.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I started teaching in my early forties and I have, I have lived my life as a full contact sport. I was a ballerina for 17 years. I played softball for close to 40 years. So I have a lot of broken bits and pieces. I know what I need to do to take care of my body. And most of my students are midlife and older. So we're all walking around with everything that we've done, experienced, had all the traumas, it's housed in your body. And so that's what you're dealing with when somebody walks through the door. And I always find I have to teach to the lowest common denominator in the room and then offer spaces where people can challenge themselves if I know they have more experience and more capacity to be able to do certain things. So like you said, it really is an art to teach and it's an art to teach to a wide segment of age groups and abilities and all of that. And it's that's not something that you learn in your teacher training. That's something that comes with experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that some people are just inherently good instructors, good teachers, because they can tap into that knowledge. And then others that are not necessarily, that's not their forte kind of thing. I mean, that's just my personal view on what I have witnessed over the years. But I just, it's one of those things where I've seen yoga change people's lives. I've seen them change how they hold themselves, how they live in their bodies. And it's incredible if you can get to that point where people can, I have people that have been taking from me almost the whole 18 years that I've been teaching that have followed me from wherever I've gone to take um, my class. So that's dedication to me. You know, you get a lot of people, they show up for a class or two and then they don't come back again. It's just, it's one of those things where it's just so incredible. And my practice has changed. I've gotten into a lot more of learning about somatics and functional movement and what's going on with your central nervous system as it relates to your muscular system and how that can be overwhelmed especially now with everybody in like this constant fear mode of what's going on in the world this whole progression has been very interesting to me so how many classes a week are you teaching
1: Uh, well uh, at the moment i'm teaching um, online classes as you refer to with this um this quarantine lockdown situation so, at the moment, I'm teaching seven a week um, Zoom classes online. So, essentially, my, the majority of the students are my students that are just stuck at home. So, they all log on and right. they pay their normal <laughs> fees and we just carry on as though they were here. And But I've had a few visitors right. coming from overseas. So, that's been nice that suddenly I'm picking up uh, people from beyond our borders and... So that's quite exciting. But generally, I would teach anything from eight to nine classes a week because I'm the only teacher at the moment. Um, I don't have subs available. This town is rather small and I just don't have people that can substitute and come in and step in. So I I teach on my own. So I keep my energy focused. I don't overdo it. Otherwise, I serve nothing. Yeah. Well, and and it's just you get to the point where you're burnt out. Well, that's the interesting thing because
0: I'm a business manager of a health club. And when we found out that we were going to be shut down by the state, I said, you know, I think I can get all of our personal trainers up online so they can teach or do work with their training clients and we can get our group fitness up online. And everyone kind of looked at me with this blank stare. I have a background in technology and I'm like, listen, if I can put the tech together, I can teach you how to use it. And luckily everybody trusted me enough to do it. And we are like in the 1% in the fitness world right now where we are actually earning an income from personal training and we have our members who have decided to keep most of them decided to keep paying their monthly dues so we offer them the group fitness classes for that and it's been very successful and for me I'm like listen we can make this another stream of income when we open up there are Absolutely. people who will want to continue to do this, right? We can still do live stream. We can also record them and offer them to people and be able to offer people who are not members packages to purchase classes if that's what they want to do. And people are like, what do you do? Just sit around and think about, yes, <laughs> because I just think that we have to be prepared and open to new ways of doing business. And just like you said, you've got people from overseas that are taking your classes and they're going to get to the point where they're like, please don't stop doing this. I want to be able to keep taking from yeah. you because you've built up this connection to them. Yeah. And I think that's incredible, yeah. really incredible to me. Absolutely.
1: So. Very exciting. I mean, it's it's, it's suddenly you've got people, um, you know, on screen that sitting in Dubai or Germany and they just, and it's crazy. And, you know, the thing is also the reality <laughs> is a lot of these people don't have access, um, like in Germany, um, some of the classes apparently are quite um, expensive. They're not always, if they, let's say they're looking for a yin yoga class, they don't have a yin yoga in their town. Um, it's not something that's necessarily very popular or, um, right. so, um, and then they've heard about the yin here and they do the yin and then they, you know, most people, once they, they do a few yin classes, they're pretty hooked. So, you know, they don't, they don't want to do something else. They like to do the yin practice because it's so good. And, So then I think that's, you're absolutely right, is to find an alternative way to create business, even when the studios reopen, is to have that as an alternative. Yeah.
0: Well, and you know, the option, especially with Zoom, is that you can record that class while you're teaching it And people can dial in from there and and be able to do that. And you're already teaching anyway. You're just maximizing the income that you can bring in from being able to offer it to people that are not in your local vicinity. So, yeah, this whole thing is I at first there was a lot of panic and I had a lot of anxiety and a lot of panic attacks. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, let's shift gears and figure out one, how to stay viable and be able to continue doing what we do. And two is then how do we integrate this back in? Because even if they do lift the ban and start letting people going out and doing things, I think a lot of people are going to stay home because there's fear about too many people in one location. So you've got to be able to serve those full. And I just think that it opens up the world to the classes that you offer. And just like you, like you said, you live in a small town and you see, you know, the same people. Now you've got, like you said, people in Germany, they can't take the kind of class they want, or it's very expensive. And you've now become their teacher in their living room or wherever it is that they're practicing their yoga. So Mm -hmm. I just think that's really incredible. It is.
1: I mean, I think, you know, um, I chose, obviously, with this whole lockdown and quarantine, there's a lot of stuff that, as you said, creates fear, panic, Um, a lot of people are very unhappy. And there's obviously been a, um, stuff like businesses that have closed because they have not been able to survive, especially smaller ones. Right. However, There's also been a lot of positive stuff that has come from this particular thing. And one of them is just to, from my point of view is I've just joined a 300 hour teacher training that's being offered by Karen Weibar from Maine online, which is um, Yoga Alliance approved because of the situation, I would never have had that opportunity. So
0: yeah, there's, there's a lot of, for the people who can dial into tech, who aren't afraid of using technology and looking, being able to look outside their bricks and mortar business model, and expand their vision this is a really fantastic time in terms of really changing your opportunities or adding to what it is that you're doing and I just find that so many people can be so self-limited and it's really easy to I don't know for me it was just like okay well now we can do this and what do you think about that and people just look at me with big eyes going how do you come up with this stuff and it's like I don't know it wakes me up at three o'clock in the morning and, and that's where I end up. So tell me, I want to know more about your photography and how all of that came into being. Because you do, I've seen some of your photos that are pretty incredible. So tell me a little bit about oh, that. Oh yeah, the
1: photography was—it was, it was um, the way I got into photography is I, I da- when I was young, when I was like 18, I dated a photographer, and it was a time of <laughs> ana- analog photography, and I was his model, and he taught me darkroom techniques and the art of photography. And I was hooked after that. And then I eventually got my own camera. And over the years, I started exploring, taking my own pictures to try and achieve uh, similar results. I, I, I love portrait photography. Uh, when I was around in my 40s somewhere, I got involved in, on Flickr. And Flickr, as you know, is a photographic site. And Flickr uh, was instrumental, very much like Instagram was for my yoga, in terms of photography. And I got to know a lot of surreal photographers that were on there, and Flickr at the time, it still is to some extent, but there was that heyday where there were a lot of incredible photographers on there. i just starting out doing teaching tutorials and I learned an incredible amount. So it kind of escalated from there. And I got involved in a lot of Photoshop work because I love doing fantasy images. Um, I-, I was going to ask about yeah. that. Yeah. So it was very inspiring. Because that's an art
0: form in itself that the whole thing with Photoshop is an art form in itself on yeah. top of just taking the photo.
1: Yeah. I absolutely love it because, you know, for me it was. I mean, I like taking uh, photographs of a portrait or so. However, I like to create worlds that that come from my imagination or where I am emotionally, you know, if I'm going through whatever I'm going through and I see something, I get visuals and then I, you know, jot it down and then I decide to photograph it. So I get to start photographing the different elements. And um, so it's just the excitement of putting that all together, shooting the different things I want and then, and creating an image out of, Literally nothing. So I'm very into that surrealism, that these worlds that don't really exist, um, or just seeing the world just completely from a different point of view. And um, I've just absolutely loved it. And then I, at the time, Getty Images were curators on Flickr, and the, their curators were trawling Flickr and inviting people to become photographers for Getty. And that's how I got. it oh. So I was very lucky. Okay. At time. Yeah. So I, I am. A I wondered
0: about that. Yeah.
1: So I make money from Getty. Not, it's not big money, but it's, it's regular income. So it's essentially stock photography, but Getty is very open. You, you know, I can send them you know, even stuff that's surreal. And if it's good, they take it. If they find a client who wants the image for whatever, whether it's brochures or posters or book covers, well, there it goes. So that's where it's kind oh, of- that's
0: kind of... Oh, that's incredible. Hmm. I had no idea that you could do that. that that's really great. I spend a little bit of time on Flickr, but not much because I I use mostly my camera to take, shoot pictures of my jewelry, like in a light box, pretty boring. (laughs) I'm always intrigued because what you're seeing through the lens is your perception of what it is. And then you have the capacity and the skill to be able to use Photoshop to to define that, change that, alter however it is that you ultimately want to see that photo look. And so it's just the whole part of the creative process for that is very intriguing to me. I'm always curious about how people see things, what is, what is it that drove them to that place to shoot that picture, that person, that whatever it is, and, and how they came up with the finished image. And so you've been taking photographs for a very long
1: time then. Yeah, really long time. But I think, you know, the Photoshop uh, also, the, the same way I, I mean, I approached Photoshop the same way I approach my yoga. Um, I keep working at it. Um, like, you know, um, with my yoga, for example, I might not necessarily teach certain poses, as you say, you know, they are, let's say peacock, you know, peacock's not a pose right. you, you teach your average. But for me personally, if I want to learn how to do a pose like peacock or chin stand, I'll keep practicing and I keep watching tutorials and I'll um, get inspired. And I did the same with uh, Photoshop. I just bought all these photographic Photoshop magazines over and over. And I went through them and I would, I would practice the tutorials. So it just started becoming second nature. And now I can, you know, I mean, there's, there's days that I still struggle, but essentially I can go in and I can say, okay, I want to create, let's say, you know, a camel on a boat. Um, and it's, it's being pulled by a whale and I can start visualizing you know what I'm saying? And then you start photographing the yeah. elements and then you start setting them up and then you've got to make sure that the lighting fits, that it all looks like they are actually you know, the same place, that it's not unreal. So I then start photographing these different elements and it can take time depending on what, what I'm wanting to do. And then... I put it
0: together. Yeah. That that's incredible. I mean that like I said that is an artwork in it that's an art form in itself just working being able to work with Photoshop. Mm-hmm. I can do a little bit but I find it more frustrating than, than anything because I'm I'm not as patient with things like that as I probably should be. I'm always really intrigued by people who are really good with those sorts of things cuz that's a real attention to detail and being able to get in and, and work in those tiny spaces and Make those pictures happen and grow out of that. So you've got. Tell me again, what's your cat's name? I forget. Well, I've,
1: I've got five.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> well, I usually just see the
1: yellow tabby. Yeah, his name's Romeo.
0: Romeo, that's you. And you take him to the beach with you, don't you?
1: Everywhere. <laughs> he, he goes on the dunes. He goes everywhere. He, he
0: it's incredible when I see the dogs running around and the cats there and you guys are on the beach. And I didn't know that you had five
1: cats. I thought you just had the one. That's incredible. So they don't all travel with you. No, the, the others are all female and they, they don't, they don't really leave the home or the property. They, they, they just, comfort creatures. Whereas he wants to be in the car. <laughs> he wants to be in the car. He wants to go for a ride. That's... Now
0: and did you start doing that when he was very young?
1: Um no, it was accidental. I think oh. it, we were moving we moved from um another town to here and I had all the animals in the car and it was about three hundred kilometers. Somewhere along the route he must have decided this is an incredible thing, you know. <laughs> And since then, he wants to drive. He runs to the garage door to get to the car. He outruns us to the door. I love it.
0: That's hysterical. (laughs) Well, you know, the interesting thing is to me is that I dated my first boyfriend in high school, loved cats, and he used to believe he would say, you know what, that's a human in a cat suit, that's soul or whatever, because he had a cat that was incredible. And he goes, that's like a human in a cat suit. So maybe that's what's going on with Romeo is that he, you know, in another lifetime, he was he was into driving cars. <laughs>
1: absolutely he just loves it
0: I had no idea that that was a new thing I had a feral cat that someone gave me and he was little and I he used to ride in my hoodie he'd ride in my hood when I drove my car and then he got too big he liked to ride up on the dashboard and then he got too big and every time I stepped on the brake pedal he'd roll off the dashboard How sweet! So we we kind of stopped driving, and then after that, he didn't really want to get in the car anymore. But yeah, I, I figured you'd been doing it for a long time because most
1: cats they're not that
0: big on driving in a car.
1: No, he he loves it. That's I mean, incredible! He absolutely loves it. He and if you drive, if I drive alone with him, then he sits on the passenger seat, absolutely rolling and you know playing with his paws, and absolutely in ecstasy. <laughs> it's unbelievable! Like he's high on something. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now you just have the two dogs right
1: yes and what isn't one of them a rhodesian ridgeback i don't remember Yeah, he's he's a um he's a mix between ridgeback and what we call burbul they come from these huge dogs that come from britain what are they called Ma- uh, mastiffs oh uh, he,
0: he's a big dog isn't he yeah. he looks like he's big
1: i love big dogs what's his? his name is ragnar from from vikings that's right
0: <laughs> yes I was like, oh, I recognize that name. I wonder where she got that. Yeah. You know,
1: All our animals are named after the movies or the series we were watching at the time. So you, you got a pretty a good idea what we were doing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but the name the name really fits him i mean he's an incredibly beautiful dog he's, Yeah. He is. how how old is he now because you've had him for a while haven't you um,
1: yeah he must he'll be around five now
0: yeah because i think i remember pictures of him or videos of him when he yeah. was when you first got him, got him he yeah was small <laughs>
1: <laughs> very small and he was very sick. He got, uh, some dog disease. And, That's and right.
0: Died. That's right. I forgot about that. And oh. then
1: what's, what's, what's the other dog's name? Well, she's a, a, a street runt that we just fetched from the, from the, the, what, what do you call him? The dog protection society here. Um, uh, okay. yeah. Um, because when the older dog, remember I had an older dog called Aslan, the big male, he died and about that's two right ago, okay I remember and then Ragnar was very alone and 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 he was actually he was just crying and howling so we went to the SPCA and we we went and fetched I wanted to get another big dog but they didn't have anything so I got this um street dog because she was friendly with cats I had to get a dog that could tolerate cats I'm,
0: with five cats you need yeah. a dog that won't chase the cat so, yeah. so
1: she's a female and her name is Yuki and she's she ha- She keeps him on the ball, amazing <laughs> <laughs> well i I remember you talking
0: about Regnar being very draught when yeah. the other dog died and and how he was just so lonely and yeah. he was missing his part of his path yeah,
1: and I never knew that they grieved to that extent. I mean it was really awful to watch i, I wasn 't going to replace an, you know or get another dog so soon, but there was just no way out of it. the dog wouldn 't eat he was deteriorating. Um, It was really, I mean, grief, like, like you've seen in humans, you know, so I think we really underestimate how they connect with one another, at least.
0: And if you think about dogs, cats, not so much, but dogs are pack animals. Yeah. And so they're used to, you know, you are part of their pack. they've got, you know, the cats are part of their pack, even though they know that they're different animals, but they get really used to having that. And I've seen it happen before with, I have a friend who has a 25 acre horse ranch, basically. She does barrel racing and a lot of different things with different horses and multiple dogs. And one of the horses passed away and the dogs were beside themselves because they were around those horses all the time, and they knew that someone, one of the d- horses, was missing. And so, like you, she had to get another horse because it was like they just had such a hard time dealing with the fact that sure. one of their pack animals was right. gone. Yeah. So I I think that animals are much more in touch with things like that, and we just don't pay attention to what's exactly. going on yeah. with them and their emotions and and all of that. So both of your kids. How old is your daughter now? She's in high school, or I don't know she's what you're finishing. She's doing
1: Recall grade 13 here. That's sort of the year after they finish their their high school. And it's just so she can study in Germany. And um, she's she's 18.
0: So, and she wants to go to Germany because?
1: (laughs) Well, she's got a German passport. So. Oh, how did that happen? Was she born in Germany? Uh, my, no, my husband is German.
0: Oh, okay. All right, that explains a lot. So, <laughs> um,
1: she can study in at German universities and all of that. You know, we don't have the issues yeah. with it, so um, so that she can study overseas um, and in Germany. So so that's. Um, but they in the German universities require this thirteenth year or what they call Abitur, the German word for it, and that's what she's doing now. This she's doing this particular year now uh, via the Cambridge system. So what she, is,
0: what is the thirteenth year encompass? is then that's interesting. I've never heard of that before.
1: Um, it's just so that they have, I guess there's a certain point system that is required to get into the universities and
0: oh. uh,
1: the normal completion of school, the point system is not recognized there. So they do this extra year for extra points and I guess kind of prepare them for that, whatever requirement they want there. So so she's, she's specialised. Does she know what
0: she wants to do?
1: She wants to be an English teacher so she can travel. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> and what about your son i know he's older yeah he's 25 and he's he's a animator he qualified as an animator um and artist awesome and is your
0: daughter home now because she was yeah so so does she do her training then her 13th year online how do they do how did no, she goes to the oh. school
1: when it's running they offer it specifically for those few students that do come back it is a service they offer at the school where she was. it's a private school oh wow yeah But um, now, of course, at the moment, everyone's working online from home. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. My niece, they, she goes to school down in Oregon. And so she went back to school, even though everything was shut down, they were going to continue to offer classes and she made it a week and said, I got to go back home. I got I don't, I can't, I don't want to stay here like this. I want to go home. And so she posts a lot of pictures of herself doing her homework at the kitchen table with the dog around and the whole work. Yeah, it's just so interesting to see how the progression of Zoom from where it was, because I've been using Zoom for years, and then all of a sudden it just exploded because everybody needed to figure out what they were going to do online, if they were going to stay working or in touch or you know, doing yoga classes, all of that. And I wish I would have bought stock in Zoom before all this happened. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: <laughs> Penny we didn't see that coming.
0: <laughs> no, no, unfortunately. Well, you know, we sort of had, I, I had inklings of it, but I just didn't really pay that much attention And I probably should have because, boy, and it—it was—it was was a three-day like trial by fire. Was me pulling together all of this tech, getting people trained, getting stuff up, working out all the logistics, and I don't think I slept much during those three days. I figured if we were doing this, everybody else had to be doing it. By that time, it was too late to buy any stock, but yeah, and it's just—it's so. Um, to watch some of the older folks that, you know, the last thing they probably learned new in technology was email and they don't necessarily do that very well either. (laughs) And to be able to help them so that they can take a yoga class and and do whatever it is to try and stay in touch. And I spent a lot of time doing tech support, which I haven't done in like 18 years. So that's been sort of an interesting experience to be back in that realm too. So can you guys go out, I mean, assuming you can go to the beach and do all of that still. Yes. And then, do you have online options for groceries, or do you all have to go to buy your groceries in person?
1: Some of the shops have these rules where they only allow a certain amount of people in, and then you queue outside. We're lucky; we're fortunate. There's a shop up the road here, and they—they're pretty. You know, people can come in and out there. They people just get their hands sprayed, and they control everything. But it's really reasonable and it's pleasant, so it's not. Too bad now online ordering has nothing like in the u.s you've got to understand this is this is third world country africa Um, There's just no way anything would ever arrive. You can forget it. So you have to go to the shops. I was going to say, I figured
0: the supply chain there is is not like it is with Amazon. I mean, I live in, I live in Amazonville, right? Seattle is where Amazon started. He, over the years, I mean, starting out as being able to purchase books online to world domination with the supply chain is, is incredible to me. But, you know, it's so interesting because I can order anything I want and it shows up in, you know, three days on my doorstep, sometimes a day later. It's, uh, I don't know this, my mom's like, oh, you know, now I can order my groceries from Safeway and I can do curbside pickup where they drop them off right at my door. And I'm like, mom, really? She's like, yeah. She says, you know, I, I suppose I don't even have to go online. I can just use the telephone because my folks are not real good with technology. So I'm like, oh, well, you know, I could probably show you how to do it online. Oh, it's okay. The phone works fine. Okay. <laughs> they they still have a landline in their house which you know not very many people still have landline were you born and raised in Namibia then that's right you were
1: my mother um, my mother and comes, how did you meet your husband um he he's um, he came to Namibia to um, visit his parents his parents were here from Germany the father was a surgeon and he was working uh-huh. as a doctor to assist here in the country so he came to visit them and he kind of never left. Uh, so did he? Was did that involve meeting you? And he decided uh, to. A little to later, you. You know, it was the sunshine. <laughs> it was the sunshine. The, uh, oh, after, yeah. You know, he said in Germany when he left, there'd been like three weeks that he'd seen no sun, and then he arrived here, and um, there was so much sunshine, and he just said, "There's just no ways you can go back to a place where there's no sun. Not the sun that we have. We have incredible amount of sun here. Yeah, that's how it worked out." <laughs> Well, that's so
0: interesting to me. I just love to, you know, how people end up in places where they end up and the decisions that kind of drove them into that space. I've never been to Africa. I've always wanted to go and just because I love Big Cat and I would love to be able to see them in their natural habitat. I saw a photo online, and I can't remember where it was, that the game reserve was pretty much shut down, and there was a whole pride of lions that were just laying in yes. the road, mm. just sleeping in the road. And they're like, you know, this never happened. He says, they're just taking back everything. Mm. Now that there's no cars or no people, yeah. they've just taken back the environment. And it was so, I mean, they were just like, they were all taking a nap.
1: Um, yeah. In the middle
0: of the road, nobody cared. I would love to see actual big cats in their environment where they live, and not in a zoo in a cage
1: yeah. somewhere. Yeah, that's yeah. That is. I mean, I've I've been raised here, so and even in South Africa, I lived for a long time. You know, where they had where the parks are really huge. They you know they roam around free. So um, for me, it's it's really sad to see them when I've ever seen them in a zoo it's just really sad
0: yeah well and you know that they're not happy I mean that's not their their natural environment we've got a a local zoo here that I take my granddaughter to that they have a whole tiger base outside and what they do is when the tigers are inside sleeping they bring and it's got water and they've got big rocks And because it's Seattle and it's a little chilly, they've heated the rocks so that the lions can lay on the rocks when it's wet and cold and they're warm. When the tigers are inside, they bring other animals from other exhibits in so that they leave the scent of the animals so that the tiger... Can, as he roams through his space, that there's things for him to sense. And I, I just thought that was incredible that they were actually doing something like that. And they're really not caged. I mean, they have spaces where they can go, where they can lay down and sleep. And, well, I think and that's the last really, time we were there, I think that's really co- progressive,
1: you know, the, um and I think that's a really good thing to hear. And, you know, the fact remains, I mean, you know, whether I frown upon zoos or not is irrelevant. The zoos, a large percentage of them are doing a really great job because they are, I suppose, keeping them from extinction because out in India, wherever um, they're poaching, or even in South Africa, some of the lions and that, this endless poaching is just decimating the numbers, you know?
0: Well, and it's just so sad And the more that communities creep out into space where the animals live is that they're brushing up against humans more and more and more and losing their habitat. And that would just it's so I was listening to a podcast with Tim Ferriss and he had Jane Goodall on and I really don't know that much about Jane Goodall and all of her study that she's done with chimps and all of that. And it was interesting when you were talking about the dog and the emotions, she was talking the same thing about being able to see that happen in the chimpanzee world and then to be included slowly in that whole scenario where they, they welcome the humans. And she said, just to be able to have that connection. I mean, she spent her whole life studying and living with chimps. And it was so interesting to just hear about the fact that, that she's worked with keeping poaching down and she started programs for children to learn about the chimps and their habitat. And she said, and it's changed how these kids have viewed the world. The things that they do in the world, how they interact with other people or other animals. And I thought that was incredibly unique that, you know, there are people out there in doing incredible things in small pockets of the world that we don't ever really hear very much about. And I think if, if we're going to be able to survive, that we're going to have to be able to learn how to take better care of the other creatures as well as the planet itself. And I don't know how much pollution you guys have, but after just like close to two and a half weeks of being everybody not on the roads and staying home, our pollution in Seattle dropped by 40% in like three weeks' time.
1: Wow, that's
0: incredible. Los Los Angeles, California had some of the worst pollution in the world. They now have the best air quality of anywhere in the United States, which is unfathomable because they have those freeways and highways that are just logged 24 seven. And to see pictures of that with no cars there at all is so it's very eerie. Um, there are days I feel like I've woken up into an alternate universe yeah. because there's, there's just nothing, there's no people. I just think that maybe this is giving people an opportunity to wake up to being able to be better stewards of the earth, to being able to be more respectful of the other living, breathing things that inhabit the earth with us. But so tell me some observations that you've had while all of this is going on.
1: I certainly think um, there, there's a a better community coming up. And I don't know if you've picked that up, but certainly I've picked up that people are trying to connect more. And um, yes, maybe as you said, people are more online, but there have been these advantages. Like you said, you know, there's less pollution. What have they said in, in Venice, um, the dolphins or the fish are back, the, um, the water is clear, the lions are roaming on, on the roads which are normally inhabited by tour trucks and vehicles and so on. I think the good thing is the as nature has started in the short time span to reclaim and actually improve or heal the earth and humans have been confined and they've been forced to, you know, connect a little bit more, be a little bit more honest, care about other people a little more. Um, for example, we've realized here um, in our particular community, there are a lot of people there was already unemployment but there's even more so now because a lot of people were laid off because the the jobs yeah. were gone and you know asking people to be mindful you know have little food packs ready for them care about people that are hungry don't just and i think this is this kind of awareness is coming up there's this energy that this vibration that has come up and i think that's a positive thing i do too it's interesting my mom is 81 and she was <laughs>
0: five when the when the polio epidemic hit in this country and my grandmother got it and they were in quarantine for five months inside their house because they didn't know how polio spread yeah they didn't know how contagious it was and she also remembers the great depression and remember and she said to somebody the other day she said the only reason that people survived the depression was because they took care of each other yeah she said my grandparents lived on a farm they were able to support themselves with what they had on the farm. They traded for what they didn't have. Everybody took care of each other. They they watched out for each other. They watched out for their neighbors. And so I think that it's been interesting that even though we're sort of all trapped in our own houses, that people are really paying more attention to what's going on outside of their little world. In some ways, I think it's really good. And in other ways I I've been listening and seeing doctors talking and people who things with viruses and, and infections and track this and have been doing it for years. And they're like, the numbers aren't adding up. And one doctor saying, basically, no matter how long we stay in quarantine, the minute we go out of our doors and start moving around, it, we're going to start having higher rates of, of people catching this. And you really, says for, for 90% of the people, they get a very mild episode. And he said, we really need people to do that to build up their antibodies, to yeah. build up their immunity. Yeah. And then he said, so, you know, while it's been great to kind of not overwhelm the medical system, he said, we really need to start, people need to start moving back into society and yeah. things need to start moving in order to, not just financially to do it, but to actually make it better for the population yeah. in terms of health so yeah. um, I'm just how do you guys I mean I'm assuming that your your medical systems there can sometimes be overwhelmed rather easily or quickly
1: they would be but we have a very low rate here I think we've had I don't know what the number is here exactly at the moment <clears throat> but the last time I knew there was like 14 people only so you know yeah it's all been manageable yeah. so we've we've not had the you know well the disaster Italy has had or wherever. Well, and, and you guys, I'm assuming that it, it's pretty rural, that there's quite a bit of space. Yeah, between the cities or the towns. Um, I mean, these cities are nothing compared to what you used to. Right. You know, obviously in the poorer, the areas that where the poor people are, the slums, there, I would say, is a big problem. And these people anyway don't have access to water or, or you know, running water or sewage. So confining them to the houses homes or the little shacks the worst thing to do worse. Yeah. well and that's the same thing they're talking about here
0: in the states about the fact that it's hitting the poor populations yeah. so they're talking about people of color inordinately getting sick and dying because they don't have access to cleanliness in their homes yes they don't have necessarily access to good water They don't have access to higher quality, better foods that actually can help support their, keep their immune system healthy. And so there's a lot of conversations that you're kind of seeing it break through of people talking about the fact that you know, we need to be looking at what this income inequality is actually creating in a situation like this. And Absolutely. Um, I mean, uh, so.
1: they just had a, an article in one of the papers here written by some doctor. And he said, in fact, the lockdown in Africa is pointless because Africa firstly, there's so many people that are unemployed and are, live below the poverty line. Yes. And in fact, what it has done now, it has created more starvation, than ever yes So more people are dying yes. of starvation than of covid yeah so- and
0: that's you know that those, those conversations are happening all over the world and it's like you know the, i mean in the one respect it's really great that we've been able to keep things from completely collapsing in terms of the healthcare system but I, i'm you know it's like okay for me it's like even though i'm immune compromised i'd rather walk outside And deal with the exposure and take care of myself and do all the things I need to do than to be shut in my house, knowing that once I go back to work or go back out into the public, that it's going to take that much longer for people to this whole thing to normalize. So Mm -hmm. everybody's like, oh, you know, and we, we can't stay shut in our homes for a year. I mean, that that's just not, that's not possible. No. I'll just be curious to see what happens over the next few weeks and, and how things play out as far as that goes. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to do this with me. And I don't even know how many thousands of miles we are apart, but I just love the fact that we can see each other and talk to each other, and we don't even live on the same continent, it's unbelievable. <laughs> or the same hemisphere. Not even the same hemisphere. Not in either, the same so. hemisphere. We're going into winter now. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and we're like heading into summer, and I'm like, oh, come on, summer. So. <laughs> but I just am so appreciative of your time and learning more about who you are. And like I said, I've been following you probably almost from the very beginning when you first started on Instagram. I'm sure I found you in a, in a challenge group somewhere along the way. It's quite possible. I think so. Thank you again. I look forward to being in touch again soon. Thank
1: you so much.